Welcome to the live weekly message from the auditorium at Encounter. You may not be here in person, but you are still part of the family. Our speaker today is author and lead pastor, Michael Rice. Good morning, church. How you doing today? Good to see you guys. Whether you're a regular attender here or you're visiting for the first time, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And none of us being here surprised God. He, he knew. He knows you. You may not yet know him, but he knows you. And he is incredibly in love with your heart. Because in your heart is the real you, not the outward the real you is in your heart. Amen? Find somebody near you and let them know that God loves them this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. Apologize, we're having technical difficulties this morning. That's just the way it goes. I was going to have Jeff come up and just do interpretive dance for our worship. But he's a stiff-necked man, and he refused. First Samuel chapter 4. Gail Beth and I went to do our internship program to prepare to go into the ministry, and we were sent to a church of about 450 people to sit under the pastor and learn. And in our first meeting with uh, the pastor couple, we're talking with him, and he looks at me. I mean, I've, I've got a wife who can sing down heaven, and he looks at me, and he says, have you ever led worship I said, no. He said, I'll get you on a schedule so you can do that one Sunday morning. I said, yes, sir, whatever you want. I don't know if he forgot. I never reminded him. And we got out of there <laughs> before that having to happen. Um, I learned this much about God. You're just better off saying Yes. Amen? Just say yes. 1 Samuel chapter number 4. It's a long reading this morning, but you'll understand why. We need the whole story. The Lord's leading, I'm ministering on the spirit of entitlement. 1 Samuel chapter 4 beginning verse number 5, and we're reading out, I'm reading out of the New King James. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. 
So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe, unto, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh, with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. And he had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because, of the, ark, because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, the ark of God has been captured. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me? Father, I, I know nothing but to do but to unburden my heart with what you burdened it with. 
I lean not to my own understanding, Father. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what you do so well. There are such diverse needs present here today. And yet you're able, you're able to minister to such a diversity of need. I pray that you would take the heart of our Father and put it into each of us. I pray for liberty and clarity as I share today in Jesus' name. Amen. We are doubtless living in a time where entitlement seems to be covering the land. There are those who feel entitled because of their skin color to treat other people as less than. There are those, because of their skin color, they feel entitled to the fruits of the labors of somebody else. Entitled. We see it at work. Never in the history of any society has there been so many jobs available. And yet we have a government who will pay you to stay home and pay your rent. People have lost the glory of the meaning of what it means to just work. There's glory in that. They will find any excuse not to work. A few years ago, we had hired for summer camp. And back then, I did all the hiring for summer camp. And I thankfully turned that over to Ira and Mindy now. They can do it. But we were just a few weeks into camp, and we were having such trouble with one individual that I had to let her go. If I'm not mistaken, we were 12 days into camp, and she had missed eight. And if I'm not mistaken, the four days she made it, she was late, two or three of those days. So I called her and I ran in my office and I told her we got to let her go. She wanted to give me attitude. And then it just came out. You're firing me because you're a racist. Uh, so I'm not firing you because of your skin color. That was the same skin color you had when I hired you. There may be a racist in this office, but it's not me. Come on. Spirit of entitlement. I'm owed something. Life owes me something. We not only see it in workplaces, we see it in homes. We bought into this idea 
that we want our kids to have more than what we had. I get it. And we, get, we feel like that's the answer to great parenting is to give our kids more. And we somehow think that by buying our children presents, it will make up for the lack of our presence in their life. And then we are shocked when our children have the mentality of the younger son in the parable that we call the parable of the prodigal son who would rather have their wallet full and their parent dead. The younger son said to his father, give me what I have coming to me. I can't wait until you're dead. I I want it now. There's no doubt that Gilbeth and I will leave something for our children. At least I think we will. But it won't be by design necessarily. Because we learned something by getting here. I grew up in a home that was well to do. My dad knew how to make money. When I got to be of age, he did not, though he would have if I had asked, he did not invest one penny in my starting a business. I started a business carrying shingles, putting shingles on a roof. I mean, know a bundle of shingles is heavy. It's 60, 70 pounds a bundle. You got a 40 square roof, that's 120 bundles of shingle. That's 120 trips up a ladder and back down again with 70 pounds on your shoulder. For six or seven hundred dollars back then, I could have bought a ladder that's called a power ladder that would move the shingles from the ground up onto the roof. All I got to do is move a lever. Six or seven hundred dollars, my dad made that in 30 minutes. I never owned a power ladder. Up and down and up and down. I didn't feel like I was entitled to his money. I'm glad that I I learned the, the value of just working. And at times... Being homeless. Seems an odd thing. I'm homeless while my dad was worth more than a million bucks.
Can I tell you it's not what you leave your children, it's what you leave in your children that'll make a difference? In church, we have a spirit of entitlement. Somewhere along the line, we lost something. I understand. Nobody's going to run and shout today. I get it. God's going to make us uncomfortable. He always makes people uncomfortable before he can bring about change. As long as you're comfortable in your Christianity, you're in danger. We are, in a spiritual sense, in many churches today, we are much like the younger son in the prodigal son story. As long as dad makes us rich, we don't care about him. As long as the bills are paid and there's a roof over our head, money in the bank, we don't need him. It's all too easy to take God for granted. He becomes that little thing you see in the buildings. In case of an emergency, break the glass. And he becomes... Prayer becomes the emergency button on the wall of your home that stays unrecognized and untouched until an emergency pops up. Tettleman has invaded the church. We have a generation that knows what it means to sing about the glory of God, but they've never really experienced it. I'm not talking about the glory of God that will give you goosebumps. Thank God for that. I, I love the feeling, if you will. But somehow we've got to the point that even going to church and experiencing the glory of God, that becomes the end all. I want to go to church and have an experience. I want to I feel something. I want to I be moved in my emotions, in the message or the, the, the worship. I, I want to I get choked up. I want to feel the glory bumps. I wanna, and that becomes the end all. And we, we forget that we, we get blessed so that we can be a blessing. We have a spirit of entitlement. And many pastors have fed into it. You can walk into many modern churches and right there in the foyer, they call it the vestibule, is a, a pamphlet that will tell you all the good things about this church. If you join this church, we have this and we have that and we have this. And listen, I'm, 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 I'm not against having those things, but, but that shouldn't be the reason why you go to that church. Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you. That means that where you go and your place is important to him. And I'm just old school enough to believe that outside of your marriage, the most important relationship you have is with your church family. You don't have to agree with it. It's true. Being together with a church family, I understand there are some who can't because of physical 
issues. There are some who can't because whatever has driven them to their homes, and I'm okay with that. I understand that, and we're doing what we can with our live feed to minister to that need. But the Bible specifically says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And you need to understand that word forsake has a meaning. It literally means to make a choice for something else. To forsake. If you take it deeper, it means to forsake in time of need. If you don't see in the spirit, if you don't see in the natural, something profound is taking place in this world. There is something in the air. How many knows what I'm talking about? There is something going on in this world that is it's putting a death grip on this world. And the church needs to be the church like the church has never been the church before. And people almost make up excuses as to why not to go to church. We've even fed into that. And, and people have this idea that you go to church to get your needs met. No, that's what a selfish pig does. There are times you go to church because God wants to meet somebody's need through you. You don't feel like going to church because your needs aren't being met. Well, you've got it all backwards. You're supposed to be here as part of a body. And if the church is a body, and that's what Jesus called it, in the human body, when there's something that takes but doesn't give, we call it cancer. And there are spiritual cancers of people who want to come to church and it's all about their giving, their getting, and it's never about their giving. And I'm not talking about the offering plate. I'm talking about their prayers. Somehow, through even the songs that we sing, we think we go to church empty to get filled up. And I ask you, what would happen if we came to church filled up and we spilled over on each other? If we came to give and not to get, everything changes when our attitude changes. God's made me a fresh hunger for, for a genuine move of his glory. And it's a glory that surpasses just the chill bumps. It's a glory where God moves and things happen. And it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, young or old, newly saved, or you've been in this for 30 years. It doesn't matter. God's just looking for a willing heart a heart that's hungry for him. But if you're, we're all too willing to just have a nice service, we might as well run right Ichabod above the door. 
God's looking for a people. He's looking for a people that have a fire and an intensity. Gilbeth and I have experienced that and will never be satisfied with anything less than that. We've been a part of a body where the fire of God would fall and the miraculous would happen. We've seen week after week where God's moved on people. And I remember when we, when we went there, they, he could barely make his way in the building and he struggled with his walker and he often had to wipe his face because the strokes had, had debilitated part of his face and, and now he drools on himself. He used to be a minister of the gospel, but now he barely shuffled into place. But week after week, the glory of God, not the chill bump glory, but the real glory of God would fill the place and it reconstructed that man. And his face went back to normal and he, he jettisoned the walker. And he got straight and he got clear-eyed. Yet when he was in that condition of drooling and walking, God gave me a word for him and I told him, you haven't preached your last message. And I know everybody in the building probably thought I was nuts. He can't hardly talk. And then God wouldn't let me stop there. I said, not only have you not preached your last message, you've not pastored your last church. And even in that moment, I'm thinking, what am I saying? I don't know how long it was, but he stood in the pulpit. Like a man of God, and he preached the word. And shortly after we left there, he went out and started his own church. Amen. And the young people. You know, the glory of God doesn't know gender and it doesn't know age either. Been in church service. It wasn't one that we pastored. But we were in a church service and partway through service they interrupted the service. Because something was happening in the nursery. You remember this, Gail Beth? How could you forget it? They sent somebody with a microphone into the nursery. Three, five, six-year-old children. And as the microphone entered the room, you heard kids that age crying out to God, speaking in tongues pouring out their heart before God. And the glory of God filled the room where the adults were. Don't tell me God can't use children. Don't tell me he can't use wayward teenagers. I've seen him do it. We've been there where the Spirit of God just poured out in a service. And uh, th there was a hundred or so people in the building and and there were three teen boys. You know, the kind that were kind of disruptive at times, but they were there. And they listened, and they got impacted by the glory of God. And they became like a, a pack of wolves. That's what I named them, a pack of wolves. And as the music played in the background, they, they roamed the building looking for somebody who needed something from God. 
And they'd pray for this person and the person would get healed. And they'd move on to somebody else and they'd pray for them and deliverance would happen. And they'd pray for this one and something would happen. And everywhere they went, they left bodies laying all over the floor. Some of us grown men are at the back and I turned to the guy next to me and I said, don't make eye contact. They'll come get you. They went through the building and they just kept looking and looking and they'd grab another person, call them up out of their seat and pray for them. Then they turned and they looked at the worship team and I thought, leave my worship team alone. They're providing the music. And they went and got around the bass player and began to pray for him. And if you know music, you, you, you don't have music without a bass player. And I thought, don't mess with the bass player. And the dew went out under the power of God, fell back on his back, flat on the floor, and kept playing the whole time. But we, 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 we have allowed people, even in the church, to have this attitude of entitlement, like... If we just go to the right church, if we just listen to the right message, if we go to the right conference, if we talk about God in our home. And we forget that this is a fight that we're in. There's a fight. If you don't know that there's a fight going on, in the United States alone, more than 600,000 people have died by a disease and growing daily. You can argue all you want about this or that about it. The truth of the matter is people are dying. Around the world, people are dying. And I'm not looking for the answer to come out of Washington. I'm not looking for the CDC's latest recommendation. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven forgive their sins, and heal their land. We will never know the glory of God by acting like the world. Spirit of entitlement. Israel in our story was in a battle with the Philistines, and it was a battle that was raging, and they weren't sure how to get it fixed, and they kind of got the right notion they got the notion that if the presence of God was with them, they'd win the battle. Boy, doesn't that describe where we're at in the church world today? And listen to me, we need the presence of God. We will die without the presence of God, and rightly so. But the presence of God did not win the battle for them. Did you hear me? The presence of God alone did not win the battle. 
We cannot think for a moment that because God meets with us on here on Sunday morning that now we've won the battle. No, no, no. We've been suited for battle. We've been empowered for battle. The fight is in front of us. When the presence of God and the symbol of the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, they shouted so loud, the Bible says that the earth shook. Man, that's a worship service. And all of a sudden, the idea set in that they were entitled to a victory. The Philistine army heard the, the shout and they looked at each other and they said, what does this mean? You got to hear with spiritual ears now. The lit literally, demonic spirits are asking the church. So now you have the shout and you have the presence, but what does this mean? The Philistines understood it meant the presence of God was in their midst. They say to themselves twice, woe unto us. Woe unto us. This is the same God that overtook the Egyptians, the strongest people in the land. And if we don't fight, we will become their slaves like they are our slaves. And that's where we're at in the spiritual realm. You want to know on the calendar of God where we're at? That's where we're at. The enemy knows that if we fight, he loses. The enemy knows that if we invade his territory, the very gates of hell cannot stop us. And so he's lulled us into a Christianity that doesn't fight. I've been around long enough to know, some of you may remember the praying mamas in the church. They'd go after God and wouldn't let go. And I understand, I understand there were some shortcomings. I understand there was some, sometimes some religious spirit involved, but, but I want to tell you, they knew what it meant to pray salvation. They knew what it meant to go after God. They knew what it meant to just keep praying until a breakthrough happens. They shouted so loudly that the earth shook. The Philistines were afraid. They said, God is in the camp. For such a thing has never happened before. Listen, if you, under, if you think that this is just another season the body of Christ is going through, if you think what the world is facing right now, you will pull out of this just like we pulled out of World War I or World War II, or the attacks on the towers, or this or that, then you don't understand the times or the seasons we're living in. 
We are living in a time that is like never before. And the enemy knows that, and he's playing for keeps. He's fighting for keeps. So the enemy, the Philistine, said, if we're going to win this, we are going to have to fight. Hardest part of being a parent, most of you parents will understand what I'm saying, is you come to the realization you can't fight every battle for your child. It's the hardest thing for me as a parent. I don't want I don't want my wife to ever struggle with a heartache or a battle. God knows my heart. I take every struggle if I could. I can't. It's not my place. I never wanted any of I'm speaking mine because I'm I'm the one talking. I never wanted my sons to know a moment of pain. A moment of struggle. Anybody else relate to that? Even worse, I didn't want to be the guy who caused the pain or the struggle. And yet I'd be the first one to tell you that the struggle that Gilbeth and I have been through is what's brought us to here. I don't understand these guys. They get saved, and six months later, they're an apostle. <laughs> apostle? I'm going to back up. I'm not going to get down that road. You've got to learn to fight. There are some real world battles. Some real fight you have to go in. I mean, where the rubber meets the road, fight. And if you don't learn how to fight in those battles, you don't play your first game in the Super Bowl. So when we get in our car and we're going about an hour's drive to minister and there's, we got no money. And there's just a little bit of gas in the car. And I'm not sure we're going to make it there. Seems like the last 20 minutes, and we know this car, you know, that red light can go on for about 10 or 12 miles, and then you're in trouble. And about 20 minutes into the trip, the red light comes on and says, dude, get some gas. And we still got another 25 miles to go. And I'm counting on this. I'm counting on when we get done, we're going to get some kind of an offering and we'll get back home. And so we drive and I'm, I'm praying and we're praying and the red light is staring at me. And we make it there. And the service happens and things go well. It's time to leave. And we get an attaboy. 
I don't, I don't know how to pump gas on an attaboy. Now, I w we weren't a hireling, but, you know, that's the norm. You go somewhere, you minister, you get some. We get back in the car, and we got an hour's drive. And the red light is still on, and I don't have a credit card. Shoot, just a few weeks earlier, I was homeless. We're struggling, folks. I can't tell you it was easy. I can't tell you I had all the answers. I remember Gail Best saying to me, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know what to do. I didn't make this mess. I'm driving home. So we drove. And we drove. <laughs> and we drove all the way home. Turned off the car and went inside, and the next morning got out, and it wouldn't start because there were f not even fumes in that gas tank. I, I wouldn't wish that on an enemy, but I'll tell you something. You'll never believe God for something huge until he's given you an hour's worth of gas. And we, we don't teach people in the church today anymore, you've got to fight. Listen to me for a moment. If the glory of God is real on Sunday morning, that's not the end. That's, the, that's not the finish line. That's the starting line. Now you take that and you, you, you find somebody to give it to. You fight against the enemy who's grabbed a hold of somebody and they're in bondage. It, it may be the waitress at lunch today. It, it may be somebody you meet at the gas pump. It may be your neighbor. It, it, may be, it may be, but you're looking for them. The fight is in that person, that prisoner, that captive. And you're going after that which holds them captive. Are you listening? You got to fight the fight of faith. It's a fight. And you don't always win. Sometimes you lose, but you fight. You don't give up on somebody, you fight. Paul didn't say, I fought the good fight and I won every time. He said, I fought. We don't fight anymore in the church. I'm not talking about with each other. I thank God for the peace and the, and the compatibility we have in this body, but, but we, we need to fight. There's a prayer meeting happens here on Sunday morning. That's a good time to fight. Showing up for church is a good time for fighting. I sat and I, on Wednesday night and I looked around at the people here and thank God for every one of them that came. But I thought about the people that weren't here. And why weren't they here? The Bible says, don't forsake. That wasn't a suggestion. It was an absolute command of God. If you think your, your absence doesn't affect the body, whack off an arm. Your presence is important. If there's any way you can fight through, 
fight through. Find a way. You might not be able to let your kid play in that little league game. But when tragedy hits, call the little league coach and get prayer. Because you forsook your body. You forsook the body for me interest. Maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not, but right in the word entitlement is the word me. It's all about me. What do I get? What do I get out of it? What am I getting? What am I getting fed? So the Philistines knew that if they were going to win this fight, they're going to have to fight. Church, you're going to have to fight. On a daily, very real basis, you got to fight. When a problem comes up, it doesn't mean that you immediately turn to the world or some effort on your part to solve it. Maybe that problem was sent for training ground for you to learn what it means to pray and see God move. I remember a man who gave his heart to God. His wife wasn't there yet. And he started paying tithes out of both of their income, and that really agitated her. And all of a sudden, financially, they had less. And one day, they sat down for supper. And she's the one that normally paid the bills. And she, after several months of that, she sat down at supper and she put a pile of unpaid bills in front of him. And said, that's what giving to your God has done to us. Those are bills I can't pay. Now, what are you going to do about it? He quietly finished his meal. And he grabbed the pile of bills. He went into his bedroom and shut the door. And he knelt down by his bed. And he prayed until God gave him release. He grabbed the pill, bills back up and 20 minutes later walked out and put the bills on the dining room table. And he said, it's taken care of. She said, what do you mean it's taken care of? He said, I don't know what it means, but it's taken care of. She gets home from work the next day and she got home before he did and she got in the mailbox and in the mailbox was a rebate check from something they had bought years earlier. It was over $3,000 that she didn't even know was coming. And that spoke something to her about God. Listen, folks, the fight is a good thing. The fight is a good thing. It's not enjoyable. But it's a good thing. It builds muscles. And when you see God put enough gas in your car to get you home, just a couple of years later, you're sitting in the office of the company who's now paying you six figures 
because you're making them so much money. And I sit down and I say, I need to put in my two-week notice because we were leaving to go into the ministry. And they had already given me so many raises and they were throwing so much at me. And I said, I need to put in my two-week notice. He looked across the desk to me and he says, I told them this day was coming. He said, it's the car, isn't it? Because everybody else in the upper management had Mercedes Benzes provided by the company and I didn't have one. So he opened his drawer and he pulled out a pamphlet that you use to pick out all the you want in your Mercedes Benz and he hands it to me. He's go home and pick it out. We'll get it ordered. His name was Mike Singleton and I, I said, Mike, that's not it. That's not going to do it. He thought I was negotiating. He said, okay, take it home, pick out one for you, and pick out one for your wife. I said, you don't understand. He says, no, I, I do understand. What do we have to give you to get you to stay? I said, I've been called to the ministry. He looked at me for a moment. He said, I'm fighting God. It's not fair. <laughs> it was horrible, the fight we got in. We moved into a house that even after we lived there for years and improved it. It was bought by the fire department for a practice fire burn. It was horrible. Even the squirrels who live in the attic fought all the time. All hours of the day or night, remember them? And we had to fight. And I'm, I'm actively looking for a job while I'm down there because, shoot, the church is broke. The doors are being padlocked. There's no people. There's no money. We're overdrawn in the checking account before I got there. And we're fighting. And I'm two weeks in and I'm praying. God opened doors and I'm knocking on doors. I'm, I'm putting in my application. I'm just, and nobody's hiring me. And one day in prayer, I said, God, help me find a job. And he says, I need you full time right now. I said, well, how exactly does that work? <laughs> I'm the only guy putting money in the offering plate. <laughs> and I don't have a job. We're running on fumes. I said, you sure? Listen, folks, checks just started showing up in the mailbox. <laughs> just, 
I felt led to send this. I felt led to send this. It was a fight. Like, are you insane? My daddy taught me you work. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? And then the overseer calls me after we're there like two months. And he said, brother, how's it going? I said, it's going, it's going good. We've not had anybody yet. <laughs> but it, it's going good. We're having good services. I got an eye on my worship leader. She's sweet. <laughs> I did do that to an overseer one time. Fast forward about four years later. I call him up, and I, I need to ask him something. He's a real nice guy. His name was Gail, same as Gail Beth. And I was put on hold, and I'm not a good guy to put on hold because then my mind takes a moment to wander, and I, I go to bad places real quick. And I had just had him down about a month earlier to preach for me, and he gets on the phone, and he says, Brother Mike, how's it going? I said, Overseer, I just got, I'm just going to put it out there. I said, I'm, I have fallen in love with my, my worship leader. He goes, oh, Brother Mike, um, I'm probably not the guy you should be telling that to. I said, I don't care. I want the whole world to know, brother. I said, I, I, love, I love my worship leader. He goes, wait a minute. I, I was just down there. Your wife is your worship leader. I said, I know that. Where were you going with it, man? <laughs> Eight weeks in, I'm talking to the overseer, and he says, have you been able to find a job yet? I really wanted to just, you know, mess with the phone button and then hang up, you know? I said, no, sir, not yet. He says, I, thought, I was hoping he'd leave it there. He says, are you looking? Uh, I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking. I'm, I'm, I'm full-time right now. And there's about 30 seconds of silence. Well, well son, I, I, thought, I thought you said there's nobody coming to church. Yes, there's nobody coming. No, no, what, what do you mean full-time? He said, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not coming down there to bail you out. I'm never going to ask you for a dime. And God just took care of us. Fast forward two years later, wrote out a check to the state office for the $17,000 the church had borrowed before we became pastors. God will take care of you. You got to fight. Are you hearing me? You got to fight, church. On a daily basis, Monday through Sunday night, Monday morning through Sunday night, you got to fight. I saw a, a meme that says the different reaction when a city person sees a deer at the side of the road. And when a country person sees a deer at the side of the road, the city person says, well, look at that. Isn't that cute? And a little deer by the side of the road. 
country person says, not today, devil. <laughs> you ain't going to run out in front of me. Say, what's that have to do with the message? This has everything to do with it. You want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Anybody? It ought to be happening on a regular basis. Jesus was asked, what do your people look like? I'm paraphrasing. He said, they look like this. They'll lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's the first thing out of his mouth. The first thing out of his mouth. They'll lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I want to tell you something. You won't go straight to full-blown cancer or AIDS. You got to build up the spiritual muscle. Next time you get sick or the kid gets sick, you can't go running to the doctor. That can't be the automatic response. I didn't say, I'm not speaking against doctors, hear what I'm saying. That can't be the automatic response. The automatic response should be, not today, devil. Come on. You will never know what it means to pray for somebody to come back from the dead until you can see God deliver them from a headache. And then it goes from a headache to something else. You don't play in the Super Bowl the first time out. You fight the fight of faith day in and day out. <coughs> when you have a trouble, you don't go anywhere else first. You go here first. You ask God to help you. You pray. You fight the good fight of faith. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and demonic spirits in high places. That's how you fight. That's how you get known in hell. That's how you win battles. You fight in the unseen. You declare in the glory, the glory of God. And the children of Israel thought, we have the glory, that's all we've got. And look what it says. Go back and read the story. The next day, the Bible says, and the Philistines fought. It never says Israel fought. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. a horrible story. I'm, I'm going to tell you very quickly and move on. I'm only telling you I'm embarrassed at it, but it, Holy Spirit ain't going to give me nothing else until I, I dispense with what he just gave me. Growing up, I had a, a guy in my neighborhood. I, I liked him. He was a little uppity for me, but I liked him well enough. His name was Ben Olds. And I don't even remember what happened. I don't, I don't remember what happened, but somewhere along the line, Ben and I got into a fight, and I was always kind of afraid of Ben because he was a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. And we, we got into a fight, and very quickly, I was down on the ground, and he was, he was holding me around my waist, and I was able to break one arm free, and all I could do, I couldn't see him, but I just, you know, I'm just swinging my arm back there, and it, it's making contact, and he's just holding me, and man, I hit him five or six times, and all of a sudden he says, okay, 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 you win, you win. He lets go of me and I, he stands up and I, I turn around and stand up and man, he's got blood running down his face. 
And I, I had two thoughts. First off, I felt terrible that I had done that to somebody who I saw as a friend. And I thought, how did that happen? He was bigger and stronger than I was. Now I know why I'm telling the story. You see, I won the fight because he never fought. And we're bigger and stronger than the enemy. But if we don't fight, we lose. If we don't fight, we lose. If we fight, we win. Even the Philistines knew. And they said, if we don't fight, we become their slaves. So we need to fight and make them our slaves. Can I tell you that's what's happening right now? Will the church become the slave of the Antichrist spirit that's preparing to show himself? Will the church slip into and fall prey to the mark of the beast? Will we, we just slide into that or will we fight? I'm talking about spiritual fight. I'm not talking about political parties. If you're hearing that, you're, you're, you don't even get the message. I'm not talking about fighting people. I'm talking about spiritual fights. And our greatest weapon is love. Come on. And so the children of Israel didn't fight. And they lost. And I'll close with this. Listen to me for a moment. If you know the players in the story, you know that Eli has been the top spiritual dog for 40 years. His two sons felt entitled to their position because of dad. And they played loose. Go back and read it. They played loose, very loose. Like so many ministries today play loose. Hophni and Phineas felt entitled. My dad is... Our two sons, Gabriel and Josiah, will not go to heaven because Michael and Gail Beth are their parents. They will need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling before God. I hate that with a passion. I wish I could give them a free pass. As we see our sons having to fight to learn some of the things that we fought to learn, I hate the fight for them, but I thank God they're in the fight. I don't remember what caused that eight boys got in a fight with me. Chased me to my own front yard and proceeded to beat me up in my own front yard and my mom came out and interrupted and for a moment I thought she was my savior she came out and yelled and she was the epitome of the mother hen 
and she stopped it all, and then she crushed my world. She said, eight against one isn't fair. He'll take you on one at a time. Uh, hold, excuse me. Can I have a point? I'm going to have a conversation with my counsel over here. There was something, though, something in that, 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 that battle of eight against one that stirred something in me. And I remembered something my dad told me that you, when you're being picked on by a group of people, find the biggest, baddest one and go after him. So in that moment of pent-up rage, I looked to see the biggest guy and I attacked him like a wolverine. I was in, on him like a chicken on a June bug. And that's the only fight I had to fight. There were no takers after that. I'm using physical stories to tell you a spiritual truth. Quit avoiding the fight in front of you. The fight will teach you something. The fight will teach you what it means to be an overcomer. The fight will teach you to have victory. The fight will teach you to get strength. The fight will teach you then when you, when you see others in a fight, you can join them in their fight because you know what victory looks like. You know what it feels like. But you have to fight. Like never before, the church needs to fight. How do I fight? You need to fight in your home. You need to pray over everything in your home. You need to pray over your meals. Well, I worked and brought that home. Oh, you just keep that attitude up. I thank God that he, that he gives me the wisdom and the strength and the body to earn a living. I thank God that the food keeps me safe. I thank God that I have it. If you're not grateful now, there's only one thing for God to do. Put you in the position to make you grateful. You don't want that. Like my dad used to say, you don't want me coming up there. And he was right. I didn't want him, come up, him coming up there. So we quieted down. You need to pray in your own home. You need to pray over everything. You need to pray over your food. You need to pray for one another. You get sick, don't, don't automatically reach for a cure in the world. Why don't you try God first? Come on. All right, y'all are mad at me. That's fine. That's fine. Tech won't work. My iPad won't work. Y'all are mad at me. That's okay. I preach good stuff today. You got to be in the fight. You got to be in the fight. And so finish out Eli, who represented the old way of doing things, was pushed aside. Hophni and Phineas was pushed aside. Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3. He told the churches, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I will remove you from your candlestick. 
it's probably probably not coincidental that this book of Samuel's, 1 Samuel, closes out the history of the judges. You need to get off your high horse in judging people and get into the fight your father has for you. Because you can't minister to people you're secretly judging. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Right now, church, where you're at, would you just start talking to him? The Holy Spirit has put his finger on some things in your spirit and your heart. Bring that to him right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Father, I'm grateful for this truth that you chasten them whom you love. A good keeper of an orchard, God, prunes a tree not to harm it, but because he has hope for more fruit. So, Father, I pray. First, I pray for that one God that now walks in the spirit of offense. Father, I've declared your truth. I bind up that lying, deceptive spirit of offense. Your offense is an imagination, and so I cast it down in Jesus' name. I cast it down in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit of God, have your way. Father, I just pray. I just pray, God, that a supernatural move of your spirit would draw us closer to you, God. That we would lay aside the weight and the sin 
that so easily besets us, Father. That we might run, that we might run, Father, the race you've set before us. Holy Spirit of God, have your way with us. Have your way with us. We trust you like the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. We will follow you, God. We will follow you to wherever you lead us. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Michael Rice, Lead Pastor at Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available on our website, www.wreckedbygod.com. On our website, you can subscribe to our regular podcast or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter. 